Hello, hello. Hey, I uh, I gotta tell you this right up front. I apologize. The sound quality that you're going to hear on today's episode is not great. Uh, you know, I I made uh, one of those rookie mistakes. I uh, updated my uh, my software, and in doing so, it defaulted to the wrong uh, microphone. And so I apologize ahead of time, but I don't have the time today to redo the content. And the content came out pretty good, just the quality of sound. So if it's really tough to listen to, um, please just turn it off. I don't want to disappoint. Um, and at the same time, uh, if I had the chance to redo it, I would do that for you. Um, I just don't have the time today. So thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast if you can. Have a good one. Welcome to Healthy Perspectives Podcast with Jeremiah, where we provide clinical perspectives on current social and cultural issues. And don't forget, you can subscribe at Podbean, Spotify, Apple, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe at any or all of them. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Getter, Twitter, and many other social media sites. Or you can email us at healthy perspectives with an S at protonmail.com. here we go thanks for joining us as always we appreciate your time but today i got a i got a big question this is a tough question to answer but we're going to give it a shot and see what happens uh the question of the day is how do we decide whose opinion matters and that might not seem like a super difficult question uh right on the surface but when we get into it you're going to see how complex this becomes so let's talk about what we know when it comes to uh, you know, weighing different opinions. We know from the, the research on uh, psychology and stuff that closer connections are valued more. So if you're talking to your best friend, you're going to value their opinion highly. This also causes intense emotions if they disagree. So... That's why you have like the biggest arguments or fights that you've probably ever been in have been your best friends or your family, the people that you've been the closest with over time. We also know that labels matter. If you're a doctor or you're an expert or you're an attorney or you're, you're, uh, you're a, a male or you're a female or you're this or you're that, if we label something, that matters. And I'll explain that a little bit more in a minute. Uh, we, we also know we overdo grace for ourselves when we make mistakes because we know the why. We can explain the reasoning behind it, even if it was wrong. We can justify it through explanation. But that also means that we do not offer and we are less forgiving of people who are distant from us. Uh, th those relationships that, you know, I, I'll give you an example. You know, the, 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 as we look, because I, you know, I often use politicians or, or media uh, personalities, people that are, you know, in movies or uh, shows that, do, that we, we get very familiar with. Uh, you know, there's, recently there's been some resurfacing of the Alec Baldwin stuff, you know, and things like that. So the people who are close, who believe they know, that person's heart 
are going to be more forgiving uh, when a mistake is made because they're going to justify it away. But the people who are further have the easiest time ever passing judgment and being critical and saying, nope, it doesn't matter what your reason, it's not good enough. And we also know that there is one big exception to the rule, and that is collective attribution. And the rule being that we, we provide ourselves uh, you know, the, the most grace, we, uh, we do not uh, forgive distant relationships as easily. Well, th- th- if that's being the standard, the exception to that is collective attribution. What is collective attribution? Basically, it's this. It's groupings. Any grouping that you have, for instance, uh, if you have a men's group, uh, you know, then then that would be a collective attribution. We, we, we all have in common this one attribute, and therefore we defer our power to the group of other men. Or it could be a church, right? Or it could be your, your place of employment, if you're very loyal to your place of employment. It could be your team, if you're an athlete. It could be a lot of things. So there's different kinds of groupings, your college. For instance, if you go to one college um, and your, your team plays another college, does it really matter? Does it really matter to you if that person that's on the other side of that field is a good person or not? No, you like them less purely because collective attribution. We are on one side, right? For our purposes today, I want to focus on two things, two things that I want to detail out a little bit. First one's going to be a little quicker, and it's a little, well, it's complex, but it's also pretty simple in some ways, and that's trust. And the second one is that whole concept of collective attribution because it it does break the rules. And I want to explain how we get into the the attribution uh, or the collective attribution and what we really probably need to pay attention to when it comes to uh, our, our vulnerabilities there. So let's go ahead and start with trust. There's some components that I want to highlight as critical components within the realm of trust. First is character. Right? They, we, we can look at character uh, in, in a lot of different ways. Right? We can, we can look at honesty and goodwill and vulnerability. And these are all important traits. One of the things that I tend toward, uh, this is not an always, every time kind of a thing, but I do it because it is my, my background. Uh, in the military, in the Marine Corps, they have this, this uh, acronym, JJ Detai Buckle. Uh, and it says, basically, these are the, the leadership traits, right? These are qualities that you want in a person that you're going to be following. You want justice, judgment, dependability, initiative, decisiveness, tact, integrity, endurance, bearing, unselfishness, courage, knowledge, loyalty, and enthusiasm. Now, I went through that super fast. Uh, I'm not going to detail all of it out. Um, but if you go back and you listen again, when we talk about things like justice and dependability, tact, like it's a way in which we approach things that makes us hopefully more effective, right? That's those character traits. Then there's ability, 
right? You, you have to, if you can't add or subtract, then giving you the math problems and saying, we're going to follow you is probably a bad idea. So to build trust, we, we defer to quality or uh, abilities that people already have or have shown a, uh, an ability to create. In other words, they can learn them. Right, so ability matters. Your experience, your training, um, your your competency in those things. Another character or character of trust or component of trust, I should say, <clears throat> is strength. It's it's skills in application. Right, it's one thing to learn something from a book. It's another thing to be able to apply that. So within strength, it's going to be things like wisdom. The ability to decide, is this the right time to use that skill or is this the wrong time to use that skill? And then being able to apply that skill in a way that's effective and consistently effective, which brings us to reliability. And that's really simply just consistency of application. We are reliable when we are consistently applying a concept of some sort or a a behavior or a trait of some sort. For instance, uh, if you show up to work on time every day, you're reliable. It's a consistent application of a specific behavior showing up on time. Why does this matter? It is the foundation of all relationships. Trust is the foundation of all relationships. As soon as trust breaks down, the house surely will follow. Okay, so we we have to have a solid foundation. The foundation may be trust, but I'm going to highlight a few other things just for your, your consideration. Communication, boundaries or roles, commitment, which provides hope. Those are the things that create the framework. And the walls are just everything else. So you've got the foundation, which is the concrete you know, bottom of the house. It holds uh, everything that we put on top of it, right? The, the framing and the walls and the roof eventually, and so it goes. <clears throat> and that is trust. But then the walls are communication, or I should say the uh, framing is communication, boundaries, which is roles, and commitment, which provides hope to the relationship. And that's your framework. Okay. We're going to move on to collective attribution now. Collective attribution is basically, I I know I went over this uh, to a degree, but the the first question is, how do we get into the mindset of collective attribution? How do we get into that? Well, it's really simple. It is not complex at all. We know that in this world, we cannot do anything alone. The need, the drive to do things in a group is extremely powerful because we know that surviving alone is way more difficult. So that need to belong is what drives us toward collective attribution. The concept that we are in this together and finding our group, our tribe, our people. What we know about collective attribution is that it defers the individual's power and influence to the group. Anybody, any individual 
who goes against the group must be banished from the group. Because the group matters more than any one individual. It's based on similarities. Similarities can be IQ, could be emotion, so it could be abstract things. And it could be concrete things like male, female, black, white, uh, tall, short, uh, same, same school in college, different school in college. Um, it could be a, a union that we belong to or a, a political party that we belong to. It can be a lot of things. Some are big and some are little. And we often defer to multiple groups at a time. Yes, I know that's hard to believe, but we're all traitors in that way. We belong to multiple groups at a time. And if one group fails us or if we fail the group, then we lean harder into another group. That's very typical. That sense of belonging comes with some risks, right? The idea of deferring our own power and influence to the group if it's applied correctly, it's great, but that eagerness, and here are some risk factors, that eagerness to remain loyal can make individuals forego moral structures for groupthink. They can forego their individual belief system at times because they believe it serves the group. That's pretty risky. Let's, let's talk about what that can result in at times. It can result in group stupid. That's what I call it. I don't, I mean, that's definitely not a technical term. But the idea that we get together and we get dumber as a result. Uh, this is super common. No offense to any teens out there, but this is super common in our teenage years. That when we get together, we collectively get dumber, right? One person says, hey, let's go for a drive. And everybody goes, yeah, that's a great idea. And then, uh, hey, you got a baseball bat in the back of your car. And hey, yeah, I do. And uh, hey, there's a mailbox coming up. Why don't you try to hit it? Yeah, that's a great idea. And you see, progressively, we get dumber and dumber, knowing that that's just not a good idea. We know, but we let go of our morals because of that sense of belonging, that collective attribution. I've got to stay loyal to this group and they're, they're, they're encouraging me and, they, and they're laughing and this is good and that kind of stuff. It also can create things like gangs, cults. Uh, it can create uh, different kinds of abuses even, such as, uh, you know, like family abuse, right? We belong to the family. Nothing's more important than the family. So the fact that we're being abused in the family, well, that's a problem. But... I can't turn on them. They're my people, right? You see, it, it can get really distorted really quick if we're not careful. It makes us susceptible to the negative side of burstiness, which by the way, that example, I, I actually hadn't put this together, but that example that I brought up about being in the car and oh, there's a baseball bat and oh, there's a mailbox and oh, why don't you hit it? You know, those are those are moments of burstiness. For those of you who don't know what burstiness is, um, simply put, it's, it's those moments where we as a group all kind of talk at the same time and ideas are flowing freely. As creative and amazing as that is, it comes with some risks. And one of those risks, the negative side of that, is we can act before we think it through. You know, it's, it's, it's especially prevalent in teen years. So if you remember being a teen or if you are a teen, 
that's where burstiness is super common. That's why teenagers are so dang creative though. You know, we don't want to lose that, but we also want to mitigate some of those risks that come with it. Look, I went over a lot of content really fast. Uh, it's my hope, it's always our hope, that this was useful, that you gained some insight, you've, you've learned something new, or you've learned how to apply something that you maybe couldn't quite put words to. It's also my hope that you'll better and more accurately accurately, sorry, well, tongue-tied, more accurately evaluate your opinions. Understanding that you are susceptible to deferring to groups and going with groupthink so that you don't lose your belonging. Look, that is how we get rooted sometimes in movements that are unhealthy and not okay. And there have been especially of late in the United States, many movements that have not been good and healthy. I'm also hoping that it opens your mind to your true worth, that your opinion at an individual level, it either strengthens you and your groups or it weakens you and your groups. You have value. You are valuable, incredibly valuable, and you're flawed. So be careful and be attentive to those things. It would also be my hope that it would improve the depth of relationships as a result of your exploration, you taking a look at your opinions and your morals and your structures in comparison to the groups that you're associating with. Now, confirmation bias is strong. Many of you have heard me talk about that. I get it. But your value to your group matters, which means if they are stepping outside of your moral structures, it is your responsibility to at least take an effort or make an effort. Not to, I'm a little tongue-tied today. Hang in there with me. Make an effort to either nudge the group into line or make sure that you get out of that group. Obviously, if you get out of the group, they lose the power that you are bringing to it, that social influence. And if they are unwilling to explore that morality that you bring up, it may not be a great place to put your time, which is limited, your energy, which is also limited, and your resources, which are also limited. You only have so much. Put it to things that truly make a difference. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a great day. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Please take a look at our website at www.healthyperspectives with a dash in between the healthy and the perspectives. Make sure there's an S at the end.com. So again, www.healthy-perspectives with an S.com.